right, so we're here. Yeah, we're back once again. With what is now, unfortunately, the 23rd episode. Yeah, so... Well, well, I guess address that right away. Exactly. Uh, uh, Well, we had to skip last week because, well, first... I'll admit I'm lazy and put off the editing for a bit longer than I normally do in the week. It happens. But I have also sped up the editing process lately. So it was going to even out, gave myself more than enough time to get it done. However, upon setting in on it, I ran into more some audio problems that I do not have the uh, wizardry at my command to be able to fix necessarily. Yeah, so it would would make for a... uh... A rough copy. It seemed like it was going to end up being a very unpleasant listening experience overall. And so we decided just to unfortunately not put out that episode. Uh, I am going to kind of use it as my little uh, experimentation and proving ground. Because you never know. And if I ever manage to restore that episode, it will come out. And it is me, you, and our first in-studio guest, Jesse. Yeah. Who I feel really bad that it's his his episode that he showed up for that fucked up. Ah. But it's because we also we tried some things to in order to get it done better, and they sort of backfired on us, unfortunately. Yeah, it was something that we did not anticipate, and everything seemed like it was going well in studio. But when I was going back through it, unfortunately, it turns out not so good. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. That means. This episode is now number 23. Exactly. And uh, this one is an interesting episode. It is the second episode that is going to reintroduce a director that we've done previously, right? So we're going to reintroduce... Not the director that I thought that we were going to repeat on. Yeah. Neither, neither. Neither did I. I mean, I knew we were going to repeat on him, but not this soon. Yeah, it's interesting. But uh, here we are, right? But yeah, so this one is Imprint it's a, from director Takashi Miike. Yes, and it is a part of the Masters of Horror series that was created by Mick Garris. And uh, an interesting thing about how this whole series was created was the fact that Mick Garris had invited a series of horror directors, uh, included you know a number of people, uh, John Landis... I think Toby Hooper was involved. Right, Rob Zombie, I know, was in a Yeah, I mean, there, the... there were so many. But eventually, you know, Takashi Meike was involved, uh, Lucky McGee. I mean, like I so said, the list goes on. I think Don Coscarelli was a part of this. Uh, and like I so, said, you know, the, once you start naming the names, you're like, oh, wow. So making a long story short, they were like, you know what? We should create maybe an anthology where we all do an episode, you know, maybe an hour long, dedicated to whatever story you want to cover. Two seasons, right? Yeah, you get two seasons. Um, there was actually a third season. Showtime, They, I think initially were supposed to pick it up, but they didn't. And I think uh, NBC picked it up and they renamed it Feared, I think it's what it called, or something of uh, that nature. Fear Itself? Yeah, maybe it's Fear Itself. It was an, uh, it was a, almost like a continuation, but like I said, for Primetime Network, as opposed to shi- Showtime. Which is now, here gets the interesting part. Yeah. This episode, it's not, a, so it's not a full movie, first no, off. It's, it's, it's an episode, but... An hour-long story. I, it seems longer, honestly, yeah, and not in a bad way. Like, he just packs a lot into it. Yeah, he gives you a lot to digest. It was, it was on what, Showtime, where you can, you can go a little bit more extreme. Yeah. And... Except this one wasn't. 
No, this was the only episode uh, that Showtime could not air due to its content. And we'll get into the details of, you know, why here in a little bit. But uh, in fact, I think that's a good way to explain really how that makes us squeal. Yeah, so here we go. How does that make you squeal? Alright, so we're into the how does it make you squeal? We've visited this director before. Yes, we have. With our second episode, Visitor Q. Yeah, sure was. Which was a movie I hadn't seen before by him. Yeah. Uh, The director, of course, being Takashi Miike, as we already mentioned. Once again, (laughs) this is a movie I hadn't seen by Takashi Miike. And so my first time seeing it. And I feel bad because... I do like the cat. Like, I've seen some of his other flicks. Like, I've seen Ichi the Killer. Oh, yeah. I have Sukiyaki Western Django in my DVD closet. Like it's a great film. 13 Assassins is great. Another great one, yeah. I've seen... I mean, I, I still have yet to get to audition, I'll admit, but... That's okay. We did... Vi- like I mentioned, we did Visitor Q. Yeah. I mean, there's, my, there's my several we can go My easy down. review of... If you haven't went back and checked out our back catalog, if this is your first time listening to us talk about horror movies, is uh, it's a horror movie where I'm not sure if I'm truly qualified to comment <laughs> on uh, due to its weird, taboo nature, nature yeah. and incestual themes, plus bullying, plus exploitation. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many different uh, things going on, and that's kind of what he film. does. He pushes boundaries. Yeah, and he does. He he brings a lot of subjects to to the surface. Ichi the Killer is hyper violent. This oh, movie yeah. wow. is no okay quack. Yeah, no. Um, this one is an interesting dose of uh, a lot of different elements. Yeah, I. So that's kind of kind of goes into how it made me squeal, I guess, is going into this movie, it had a reputation, obviously. Yes, I know, the, I, know the, I know how extreme the director can be. The reputation for this one was, you know, the fact that it was banned essentially from Showtime. They they had to cancel this episode. Right. It was a part of their lineup and Mick Garris um he even mentioned he's like, you know, I I really like this film a lot. But even for me, it's too hard to watch. You know, he's like, he didn't feel like it would be appropriate. And they even tried to cut the content down. But even that, it was still too much. All right. So going into it, I was like, man, this, this could be kind of a rough time. Like, I like yeah. horror movies. I like, I like extreme shit. But at the same time, I mean, there is kind of like, there's a little bit of a mental price you pay at times doing that like yeah i agree even even when you enjoy the subject without actually being into that sort of fucked up shit there's only so much enjoyment you can get from watching it over and over you have to have a delicate balance with certain subject matter you know you it's easy to kind of cross you know boundaries after a point where you kind of get a wash by it so that's why i like to kind of keep a nice mix you know uh, that being said, this movie, although really fucked up, not as bad as I thought it was going to be. No, I mean, after several okay, views so, of but, it. Okay, that's very, that's subjective though, because this movie is fucked up. Oh yeah, no, I have interesting stories about this tale. You know, like like you said, we were talking about Takashi Miike, and I do like the fact that 
you know, along with horror movies, which we're talking about here, he's also done children's stories and things of that nature, too, so... I always think of him as kind of being like the, uh, the Japanese Robert Rodriguez. Yeah, we, we talked about that, you know... Because and like I Bob said, Rod has episode. done, like, horror with, like, The Faculty and Planet Terror is kind of... You know, a pun... It, it's Grindhouse, but it's kind of horror. Upon other uh, viewings of other films that we've done, another interesting one that kind of jumps out to me in this subcategory, I suppose, uh, would be Nick Castle as well, you know, knowing the fact that he played The Shape. Mm, uh, Yeah. And then he started doing children's movies with Hook and, uh, what was it, Dennis the Menace. Oh, that's right. You know, things like that. And it's like, wow, you know, that's kind of, that's quite a combination. Well, and that's what I was going to cap off because then... Bob Rod, Robert Rodriguez, also did, like, the Spy Kids movies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, it's it's a good mix that lets you know and that... also, like, Desperado and... Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's a good mix. Sin City. It just lets you know that they're comfortable no matter what subject you give them. No matter, you know, whatever it is. They can do it. They can pull it off. Takashi Miike really, really is... Just has amazing mastery of how he shows you everything yeah and he really subtly puts very beautiful images in he highlights certain things yeah and he's not afraid to go extreme no he doesn't mind um you know i i think with film it gives you the freedom to kind of roam elsewhere in society you know you can only talk about it in certain light and things of that nature so uh in film he has you know I get with other directors, they have the freedom to kind of, you know, paint you a certain narrative. It does masterfully, like you say. That being said, I've really enjoyed this. I didn't think it necessarily warranted its reputation. Not but then I so try much. to think of it a little bit more in context. Like, I don't think it would be banned today. You know, I would agree. If it was remade some of the today, we've seen. I don't think it would be banned with with where some other, like, even more mainstream shows have gone now. Like, yeah. I would say that there are things that have been shown in Game of Thrones that are at least as bad. Subject matter-wise, of course, yeah. You know, I think of Hannibal, there's things like where they've shown in that. Right, and that's, kind that of was on network. That yeah, wasn't even exactly. Online. Not even on, you know, like I said, your, your primetime cable, I right, suppose. Right, so this, there is no way in the world that this would be banned now, so don't no. let that scare you away anymore. No, you, you gotta think, this this um, particular it gets episode... Extreme. It hints at what kinds of extreme just by, like, the brief synopsis of this guy's trying to hunt down a prostitute that he promises to bring back to the new world and stuff. Exactly. And so, and know by Takashi's <laughs> reputation that he will deal with taboo sexual matter and this and that. But it's not over and beyond. No, it it it, it pushes it... To a point where it's not, like I said, over the top. I mean, it, it's over the top to maybe some degrees, but uh, not really in the grand scheme of things. I don't think it's it's pushing it too far. You know, I've seen way worse subject matter. And if I had one critique of it, and it might be a good way to segue into our big name star, I guess, is that I kind of felt that Billy Drago was underutilized in it. Yeah, he... For being who he is, I yeah, felt like his main... role... I mean, his role was important and right. is kind of the main driving force. But n- most of what you're seeing has nothing to do with him. I agree. He's not really getting to do anything on screen except ask some questions here and there. 
Yeah, he he's giving a a certain limited role. Even though, like I said, his his background, his story, I mean, fuels the whole narrative. And I feel like it forced him to kind of ham it up a little bit because <laughs> yeah, some of I, his I agree. some of his line deliveries are kind of shitty. You can say it. Well, that's the thing. They're not even well. They're they're shitty, but they're like humorously shitty. Yeah, like, I agree. I agree. There's like there's a, there's a sense of humor. Like, it. He's chewing the scenery, but it's because he gets like twenty lines in the goddamn thing. He doesn't give much, and and I, have I mean, to I guess think... it's a little bit more than that because he gets that little bit of exposition, and he maybe has a, some of it a... has to do with the whole fact that. There's a Japanese crew, and he's the only uh, American actor on right. set. Yeah, and I mean, I can't... I, I just... Perhaps. I, I don't see why you get him yeah. and, and limit him like that. But. I agree, because he, you know, he's he's had a wealth of uh, experience in in film in general. Yeah. You know? So it's interesting, but uh, I wanted to speak uh, real quick about two people who wrote this. One was um, the person who wrote, uh, you know, the, the screenplay, the teleplay... And actually, the writer. So there's, you know, two different people involved with right, this. Right, because this is based off of a short story, something like that? Yeah. Um, I have it written down, the name of the story. I have to go to it in a little bit. But uh, Shimaku Iwa, or Iwe, uh, she wrote the story. It's a novel, right? And I guess in Japan, they would consider it uh, like a kaidan, a scary story. And that was part of the appeal for um, Takashi Miike to make this film, or you know, make this episode. He's like, you know, it's just like something that... He wanted viewers to watch and talk about afterward, right? Is it kind of like a traditional, you know, scary story? Uh, I saw where he had saw, said that myself, and I'll go into it a little bit yeah. more in the guts and bolts. But I'm obviously not familiar with the structure of traditional Japanese storytelling, yeah, like kaidan or something. But there were traditional story aspects to it that really did jump out at oh me. yeah 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 that sort of uh, i think interweave throughout a lot of cultures but even go into like anglo folklore a little bit too and so i thought that was kind of interesting because it really it really does flow a little bit more like an old school yeah story I agree. of some sort totally agree and you know, like to so just the, the whole way it's set up <clears throat> so she's involved like so with writing the short story Shimaku is, and uh, Daisuke Tengen, uh, he's he's involved with the teleplay. Now he helped write <clears throat> such films as Thirteen Assassins, Audition, The Eel, and The Most Beautiful Night in the World. Now The Eel. Oh, and we are going to hit Audition at some point. By the way, here's something I wanted to talk about, which is really cool. This is a really cool side note, real quick. Um, Dais- uh, Daisuke, right? His father was one of. A handful of directors who was involved with the Cannes Film Festival who won the Palme d'Or twice, right? Okay. So his father, um, I have it written down, is uh, Shuhei Imamura. Uh, he is the mentor of Takashi Miike, right? I didn't know that, but uh, Takashi attended his film school in Yokohama, right? <laughs> so, like I so said, the guy who wrote the screenplay for this, like I said, his father was actually Takashi's mentor, which is really cool. And like I said, he had won um, the Palme d'Or twice. So that was, okay, that's pretty cool. Little little side note. So, you know. That's he, actually really cool. Yeah, I was like, wow, I didn't know that, you know, prior to, to watching this, but this is why I like doing what we do because we get to share some interesting, cool little tells, you know. So if you're, you know, familiar with some of 
Imamura's work, his son is involved with a lot of Takashi Miike's work. And the author of the story does show up, but she does. Uh, I don't want to necessarily mention. I want to save yet. that. I want to save, save what the role is. It's kind of she a is involved. Role, yes, but it is a little spoilery. Yeah, I didn't realize that. I didn't once realize again. who it was either till later on uh, when we were researching for this movie. Likewise, uh, which it makes it even even a little bit creepier. Honestly, I agree. I honestly feel like knowing that makes makes those scenes even a little bit worse. Well, I think she would have the knowledge given the fact that she wrote those parts. Mm-hmm. That's true. You know, so uh, it's it's interesting. I'd be interested to find a translated version of the short story. Likewise, it'd be pretty cool. Because I've got like it. I said this this it's a fucked up story, but it's not the worst. No. Like I said, I think it has a lot of like said traditional folklore tells behind it. But then again, it talks about certain subject matter, like here in the West, be considered like heavy taboo subject, right? Which we'll delve into. I wanted to talk real quick just about production companies. There was just a view involved, IDT Entertainment. There was uh, Kodakawa Herald Pictures. They were all involved heavily with this film, you know, being that it's Japanese. Um, nice Guy Productions and Reunion uh, Pictures. The distributors, once again, were Kodakawa. They helped uh, release it in Japan, right, as a theatrical release. And uh, Bravo Television in the United Kingdom, they were the ones who actually aired it. Uh, they only aired it okay. once, though. <laughs> right? I don't think necessarily they knew it perhaps as much, but they did release it. And I heard afterward they had to heavily edit it down, right? Uh, but they did. They aired it. So television-wise, they're the first ones who aired it. Uh, Showtime could have been, because it was slated to uh, to run on January 27th of 2006. Didn't release until, I think it was uh, September 26th of 2006. Yeah. Which is, a, I want to say, I, I got this this on Anchor Bay not too shortly after. You know, and I used to see it like on sale at like, Best Buy and shit yeah, all the no, time. Yeah, no, I'm so almost certain that's where I bought it. if you want to go find it. And yeah. I recommend you go find it. That's one of the things. Like, yeah. It has a bad, like, it's it's an extreme movie. You kind of have to know what you're getting into a little bit. And we'll give our warning here in just a second, I think. But exactly. it's worth it if you're already sort of into that sort of mode of horror or are yeah. a fan of Takashi's. I agree. Um, there's a few people want to yep. mention in the cast, if, if you would like. No, yeah, Just I, a few I more. There's a couple more, and then yeah. we'll... And then we'll delve right into it, because I'm, I'm ready to, mm-hmm. to, to bite into this one. Um, I'll, I'll put down the woman, right? There's a woman involved in this. Now, she's a prostitute, oh, okay. right? But she doesn't really get a name. I'm just... Just know her as a woman, right? Uh, this is uh, Yuki Kuru. She was in Rush Hour 3. She was in Mystery Train. Snow Falling on Cedars with um, Matt Damon. <laughs> um, and she was in, let's see, Blood, The Lost Vampire, or The Last Vampire. She does the voice acting for that in the video game. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so she's, she's prominent in Japan. You know, there's a lot of these actors and actresses that are. Um, heavily involved in Japanese film. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one who plays uh, Kumomo in the film, her name is uh, Michi or Michi, 
she was uh, in a few films like Silence, The Most Beautiful Night in the World. Actually, she was involved with uh, Daisuke Tengen, some of his films and things okay. like that. Um, like, so there's a lot of films I'm not familiar with. Like, so there's just a lot of Japanese films. So she was involved with this film. The Touter, which was the short person in this film with the, the weird headdress. Right. Right. <laughs> I thought it was a different person at first, right? The first time I watched it. And then I started watching uh, Eastbound and Down. And I thought it was the small guy in season two, his little sidekick with the taller Mexican guy, like okay, the two Mexicans. Yeah, I haven't watched any of these, but wow. So <laughs> he was involved with like the Willy Wonka, the remake of okay, the Willy so Wonka. He was the little, yeah, right? That guy. For a long time, I thought it was him, right? Not him. It's not him. Okay. It's not him. It's a Japanese actor named Mame Yamada. This person was involved in Tokyo Gore Police, Blue Spring, which was like, a, I think, a television series. Okay. Uh, the Great uh, Yukai War, Zebra Man Two, Attack on Zebra City. Zebra Man was a part of, uh, I think it was geared towards children, but it was like a superhero. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, but it's a Takashi Miike um, film. So I've been wanting to watch Tokyo Gore Police for a bit. Oh yeah, it's a good one. I recommend that one. I've seen it a few times. Uh, Toshi Nagishi was the madam of the house. She was involved with audition, which is pretty interesting, right? She's been in a few of uh, okay. Takashi's films. Um, Yuichi Matsui is actually the special makeup effects artist. This person was involved with Kill Bill. Uh, hats off. Yeah. They, they do a great job. Yeah, great Listen job. Listen to some of these films they've done. I wrote down one that was interesting. They did, uh, like I said, Kill Bill Volume 1. Okay. Uh, they did The Grudge, the Japanese version. Okay. Audition, Ringu. They did uh, Full Metal Yakuza. They did uh, Inugumi. Or Inugami, excuse me, uh, Gozu and Tokyo Zombie. Now they did another film in the eighties. Okay. Which uh, I've read. Uh, I've read a couple of things because there's like two versions. One of them is called Entrails of a Virgin. Now this is a Japanese kind of like a gore flick, right? Right. It's so. one of those heavy eighties films where it's kind of it, it, it kind of borders on snuff a little bit. Gotcha. You okay. know, it's kind of a, that's his intent. But um, you know, watching them now, you're like, okay, it's just yeah. you know, it's kind of cheap. But anyhow, I thought it was interesting because I was like, wow, I've read so much, so much about that film. It came close to buying both of those. There's like Entrails of a Virgin, and then there's like Entrails of a Woman. I think is another one. Okay, yeah, it, they're weird, wow. but anyway, <laughs> Dude, uh, yeah. Well, they they did a great job. In this yeah, movie, there's like some really cool makeup effects in this this film. Uh, another person wrote down is uh, Koji Indo. I think he goes by Koji Indo Jr. in this. He does the music. He did the music for 13 Assassins, Audition. Uh, there was a short film called Three Extremes. There were like three different stories from three oh. different Japanese yeah, directors. Yeah, I know Three Extremes. Yeah. Uh, he also did the music for uh, Sukuyaki Western Django. He did the music for Visitor Q. Uh, Audition, Gozu, and One Missed Call. So this guy does a lot of music for Takashi Miike. Wow. And the last person I wrote down, which I thought this was really cool because they had some really, really, really interesting film credits, right? This is the director of photography, and this person's name is uh, Toyomichi uh, Kurita. This man is known for films such as Waiting to Exhale, Medea's Family Reunion, <laughs> Why Did I Get Married? This is, a, this is a film I'm guilty of watching. Daddy's Little Girls. <laughs> wow. And that's like, these are a lot of what what is considered soul films for, you know, African-Americans. Um, so he's I've seen a... DP on all of those. Yeah, he's DP in all of these. He also was a DP of Sukiyaki Western Django. 
Wow. Okay. Right. But then I started seeing, I was like, waiting to what? Waiting to exhale. Waiting to. First exhale. daughter with um, Katie Holmes. Jesus. With this another six degrees of Pacey. <laughs> Holy shit. We talked All about right. this. <laughs> so I just, I, I started looking, like I said, I digged a little bit. I was like, Holy cow, man. This is some. Oh, and we didn't really mention credits, any other uh, Billy Drago's filmography. No, but, but like, he's done some really cool stuff. The thing that sort of ties into what we've done is in the remake of Hills Have Eyes, which yeah. we did a Hills Have Eyes episode. We sure uh, did. He was Papa Jupe. Yeah, you know, here's another film that I recommend to a lot of people, even though it's not a horror film. Uh, if you like Joseph Gordon-Levitt, this is a really, really interesting story. Uh, it's a film called Mysterious Skin. He's oh. actually in the film, Billy mm-hmm. Drago. I don't think he's... He doesn't play a major character. I know that for sure, but he is involved in that film, but highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. Um, here's something he's involved, another six degrees of Kevin Bacon, Tremors Part 4. Yep. <laughs> he's involved with that. He's involved with, um, I think, a... Um, Chuck Norris film called Delta Force 2, The Adventure. Yeah, Delta Force 2. He's also involved He's with Bruce charmed. Campbell. Oh. Yeah. Here's a Bruce Campbell reference. The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. Yep. I did write down Charmed. Uh, he also did uh, Children of the Corn, the film Genesis. That was the one in 2011, right? Yes. Okay. Um, He's also in The Untouchables. Yes, he is. And yeah. Pale Rider. Yeah, I mean, he has a laundry list of film credits uh to his name but there was a few that tough you know that jumped out that kind of referenced back to some of the films that we've already done the biggest one being the hills of eyes so yeah this this gentleman's been in a lot of films but anywho that's that's more or less my technical notes like i said outside of that the special effects team was uh ol olm digital they did the cgi for this film um like i said it's international debut was at the uh, Yubari International Fantastic Film Festival in Hokkaido, which is an island in Japan, February 25th, 2006. So that was its its international debut. Cool. So there we go. So, uh... No taglines. Yeah, no taglines. Unfortunately. I like them. Uh, I'm not sure... What, we warned them you, a little what, bit, what right? Would you give a, I mean, I guess I didn't think about the fact that it didn't have a tagline, or else I would have... No, the only thing I wrote down for it was it was banned from cable uh, broadcast, which, yeah. that's true, but it's not really a tagline. No. Uh, yeah, I don't know what I'd call it. I don't know what I'd give it as a tagline. Ooh, um... I uh, extreme Japanese... I don't know, folklore, maybe? I don't know. Whores Pros- always don't... Uh, whores always lie, don't they? Yeah. That's a good one. Whores always lie. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Don't they? I like that. But uh, we did give a, a really quick forewarning, right? So, so if you're not familiar with some of the films that we've done, I will go ahead and say this it is... It doesn't deserve its reputation. Not However, quite. However, it involves torture. It involves torture. It involves... Uh, there's a uh, lot of disfigurement. There is disfigurement. There's a lot of sexual themes involving children and, and incest mm-hmm. and rape. rape and there's a lot i mean a lot uh, of the characters are prostitutes anyway yeah so think about that um there's i don't know if i want to give it away but if you're not i'll put it this way if you're familiar okay, with so pro-choice there's pro-birth right there's there's uh, something that's kind of a spoiler yeah but it's also kind of necessary to warn you. We about do have it. to warn you because so, it talks about it. Sorry, folks. You do see so spoiler warning, mm-hmm. but 
this is just for your own good. No, I, I if agree you with you. Don't want to see this. There are scenes involving aborted fetuses. Yes. So if you don't want to see that, um, I would say A, either don't watch this or B, half fast the forward through just it. just stopped the episode. <laughs> You're like, like okay, nope. and we're out. <laughs> yeah, I'm Never like. Never mind. Like, yeah. I was on board with prostitution, but. Yeah, prostitutes, no big deal. Disfigurement, um, whatever. Yeah. Seen that. Done, there before there. the grace of God go I, but. I know, right? Uh, but no, I mean, even that's like. Uh, it's pretty heavy, but uh, it's they don't do it over. I don't think it's it's like too gruesome or anything like that. To be honest, I mean it's no, they're kind of props. Yeah, I mean, come on, God, I don't. Know. Here, here's something. All right, here, here's something I'll, I'll talk about really briefly. Just keep in mind that this is a film. This is special effects. These are actors and makeup, right? So keep that in mind as well. You're not actually seeing a real-life abortion. Oh, and one of the disfigurements is kind of weird and disturbing. Yeah. So, I mean, like I say, keep like, a little I mean, light-minded, like beyond too. The, beyond the norm of, like, weird and disturbing. Yeah. I would um, agree. But it, it gives it gives a good O to the character itself, herself. Uh, but yeah, there, there, I mean, there's, there's some heavy topics, ladies and gentlemen, this is not for the, you know, the faint of heart. So keep that in mind, but keep in mind, once again, these are actors in makeup and effects and props. And with that in mind, I think we're going to go into the guts and bolts. Guts and bolts. Guts and bolts. So we're in the guts and bolts of our 23rd film imprint 2006 you know i found overall that this film the story is pretty simple i mean obviously it's only an hour long and it helped so that i didn't actually have to take very many notes no, you really which i liked i mean really overall the the premise is pretty simple because it all just involves this guy going and hearing stories from this prostitute yeah so billy drago plays christopher and christopher we find out as a, as a journalist from America, and he's looking for a specific prostitute named Komomo. And Komomo, is, it seems like it might be the love of his life, right? He mm-hmm. left her, apparently, in Japan, and he's been almost island hopping, apparently. Searching for Searching for her. He's been doing this for years, right? Tracking down. Looking for any, Komomo. Yeah. Any leads he can to, to take her back to America. <laughs> They can start their lives over together. Exactly. So uh, he ends up on a specific island by way of uh, like a little riverboat with a few Japanese men. Where you see your first corpse floating by. Yeah. And uh, maybe the only moment of uh, humor in the movie. There there are some funny exchanges. And one, I even wrote... Mr. wrote Keith. I even wrote... <laughs> yeah, I did write that down. I wrote another one down is... Seriously, I'm... I'm not ma- mocking anybody's no, no, accent. No, 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 he but it's so said funny. It in a playful tone. He's he like, did. Peace. Rest in peace. He does right after they, they drift away. But before that, one of the guys turns to he he per he turns to Billy Drago, Christopher, and he says, Is it true you're all hung like horses? <laughs> I missed that. Oh yes, you need to watch that again. Oh my god. Because that's where you know Christopher Billy Drago looks over. And another guy makes a comment, and he just kind of tips his hat down. That's why, because these guys are making crude remarks. And the, the guy who is rowing the boat, because they, you know, they rock right into the dead woman mm-hmm. prostitute. Then when they make mention, it's like, like she feels heavy, like with stone or with lead. And they, she flips over, and you see where she's pregnant. 
and they kind of push her away. And then, yeah, the guy's like, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a weird exchange, but he gets into town and checks yes. out the red light district. And there's scores of prostitutes. And the interesting thing I wanted to mention was it takes a few times for me to notice certain things, but I noticed it this time around was uh, Takashi Miike's use of the color red, right? And you see that with the prostitutes. They're mm-hmm. wearing, you know, their hair is red. They usually wear like maybe a red top. Or wear red dress red of some dress. sort, right? And then you even see like in the background of most of the brothels, it looks like there's red, you know, like maybe washed across it. Yeah, which we'll see in a little bit. But yeah, I, I did notice his use of certain color tones in this film. Oh yeah, specifically, well, and he things, especially later on in this movie, end up becoming even a little bit stylized with different yes, colors. I agree. Such. I totally agree. Billy's a bit. Christopher is a bit downtrodden or down disheartened because you know he doesn't see her anywhere. No, but the he he starts the, to notice a particular prostitute. He, he does right? he does notice a prostitute in the back, but he knows it's not her. But he right. catches his eye. But he's about to head out, and the it's not the madam. The I put uh, it's called the touter. The, the touter. touter, yeah. Which is a short person. This person is short uh, and syphilitic. Yeah, because this person's missing half their fucking nose, <laughs> right? And it's 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 a little disturbing. It's a little disturbing. But it's just like, hey, you have to stay somewhere. Why not stay here? Yes, we'll make you a good deal. I'll give you a good price. Yeah, he goes in. You know. Yeah, I mean, he's like he he asks him. You know, well, who do you, and he points out that he would like, like to the spend the night. The back. Yep. So he goes in, sort of explains his story to no one in the room. It's no, just no, no, you know what happens? Actually, he, he tells him that he he's looking for a girl named Komomo. Oh, right. And he's yeah. like, I never heard of a woman named Komomo. He, like, he picks his nose and like, does that number with the booger? <laughs> like, mm. gross. <laughs> he's like, not on his island. That's what he does. I'm sorry. But it's like, that's why, because he, he makes mention of his ethnicity. He asks him if he's Dutch or like something. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. But anyhow, it's just, it, they have word exchanges too. But um, go ahead. I'm sorry. But he gets in there and he sort of does his little exposition to no one in the particular in the room because it's before she actually comes in. Yeah. But then the girl eventually comes in. He uh. And he starts asking his normal round of questions. Yeah, it's interesting because you're right. He has like a, a little bit of sake before it, and he starts to tell a little tale of Komomo. So that's where you get the interlude of, uh, you know, he talks about her being the most beautiful woman, and and while he's while he's there's going in there, pinwheels. Going on too, you have to make that was interesting. I was gonna say uh, this is one of the first little scenes you see the pinwheels. Right before that, as he's going into the room, you see the first little thing like shadowy figure in yeah, the background. You sure do, which pops up a couple times, although it never really comes to fruition. I don't think that's a hard one to call. Yeah, it's you but know, there I, there's just this weird sense of dread that gets built because there is, there is there's a lot of weird little moments and part of i think part of the reason why is we find out uh soon enough that this this island is cursed too well so with the pinwheels right yeah pinwheels are interesting i think it has something to do with another story within the story well and that's the thing so there's before before she shows up, there's a pinwheel in the wheel room that blows and starts coming. Right. And I mean, that can be, you know, symbolically like winds of change and stuff. But this is the spoiler section. And so we're going to jump way ahead. Uh, and if you wanted to hear everything in order, then skip over like the next 30 seconds of what I'm going to say. Yeah. But 
the pinwheels were put out for each abortion, right? Yes. Yes, they were. Yes, they so, were. They represent... In this film, they represented, like, the dead souls or the babies. So here's the other thing. Kamomo is always pictured in his flashbacks as holding a pinwheel. Yes. And I think the reason being, she she could have been one of two things, which I think one thing... I don't know we're talking about the time, here. I think by the time you get to the end of this movie, some of the events are vague enough yeah. where it could be interpreted that he killed her. Good point. And I think another one, too, is um the fact that his little well i don't know if i want to get in fact that that far into it yet well, the, the story is pretty pretty overall pretty simple because yeah he they they have a little bit of a back and forth that really doesn't pertain to anything for a little bit it's just like easing each other up and stuff and yeah. he eventually he's like look i don't like he doesn't I, want I sex just, i just want to chill like tell me tell me a story about you yeah exactly he wants to hear a story and what happens is he finds out he mentions komomo that's why he's there and she knows about komomo he, she says that komomo died she hung herself and he's like god damn mm-hmm. you know he does that yeah number. he flips out for a bit and wants the more detailed version yeah. so she tells the more detailed version from her point of view and so it tells her story uh, well, I think here's going to be the easy way to get through yeah. this is there's, the fact lot, that she tells the story three times. She does. That's very interesting. So each time he tells it, or each time she tells it, he doesn't believe her till the end. Yeah, precisely. And so every time it's the same story, but it changes just slightly. Yeah, variations. So now knowing that, let's not talk about those in-between sequences and let's just talk about her story. Okay, so her, yeah, her stories are very interesting. Because then her story will lead just into the end sequence, I Yeah, think. so do you want to talk about so her original story or so, her story? Well, her story kind of leads into the Komomo story. Okay. And so her yes, original story is that she was the daughter, daughter of two of, poor travelers, right? Two poor travelers. Her mom was a midwife, but her father... Uh, he had some kind of had a chronic illness of yeah. some sort. He eventually allows himself to basically drown in the river to spare them all, even more misery or, or suffering. You know, more more so than they're mm-hmm. already going through. Uh, but her mom still can't just just can't hack it. No. So she kind of gets sold off. And uh, yeah, the girl gets sold off. And this is where I wrote down that was just funny. He uses a little bit of humor here because oh. the person, the first person she gets sold to, looks like a Japanese Willy Wonka. Right. Wait, maybe we should back up for a second because yeah. we skipped over the fact that when she comes into the room, you finally get to see her, and she's disfigured as well. Oh yeah, when when you see the little girl, well, not or not or, just the, or girl, the woman, you see the, yeah, the woman coming. You know, in. and that's the whole point is she has half of her face looks like she has a stroke, like really stroked out, right? It, it's like pulled up, like half her face looks like it's just pulled back, like her, yeah, her mouth, mouth. is like. A Chelsea grin, but yeah. not like a scar. It's just like if it was naturally just pulled that like way. That. Yeah, and her eyes, eyes are as well. It's it's almost like somebody was doing a racist. Yeah, like do, giving themselves, and like, they permanently got stuck that way on one side of their face. And and they're both at the same time. Yeah, exactly. So it's this weird stretched effect, but it's not like scars. It's just this. This is bad to say. But she definitely has a good side and a bad side. Nah. <laughs> well, what I wrote, uh, strangely, is that, well, during most of her 
one of the things that Takashi does is focus intently on that. Yeah. And most of her conversation with him, that's the only side you can see. That's a good point. And I also wrote that it made her look, I watch and read the uh, anime slash manga Bleach. Okay, And cool. it makes her look like one of the characters who has this really creepy smile and extremely like slanted eyes, huh. uh, Gin Ichimaru. That's pretty cool. And she looks almost exactly like a real life version of it. You know, it's interesting you say that because uh, Takashi does a lot of uh, manga inspired shows. Right, mm-hmm. where he pulls actors to play manga characters, right? Um, so that yeah, maybe he's using a little bit of that in this story. And even if not, it, it's just what it reminded me of. It's pretty it cool like though. That, it looks like a it looked like a real life version of it, basically. That's pretty cool. Which was kind of creepy. But to go on, so she she was born with it though. So yeah, she was born. So you have to imagine that when we're talking about her story, is even when she's a kid, she has this. Yeah, and she also has noticeably blue hair. You know, another thing too, which was cool. I think we we get to find out later on, and I'll write down too. Is uh, it seems like that that got her picked on at times, which we'll talk about a little bit, mm -hmm. right? Um, So you know, the the girl has a, a rough upbringing, but. Through the midst of her being sold, she got sold and sold and sold and sold all the way up until she wound up in this brothel, right? Where Komomo was at. Well, I think that's how the revolve The important part her. of that is she did get to attend a Buddhist temple for yes. a bit. Yes. Uh, that taught, was where she taught, she was taught kindness, is what she said. She was taught kindness. Yes. Uh, she seemed to make friends with one of the priests yeah, and was Buddhist taught priest. about uh, hell and demons. And demons. Wasn't there like a big scroll? He said, like, you know, if you do these things, yeah, then you will you go to hell. Go to hell. <laughs> he struggled a little bit, but you know, he's Japanese. It happens. But he, he did a good job. Eventually, yeah, she ends up in that particular brothel. Kamomo's there. She shows her kindness. Yeah. The the older ladies were always mean to her though, because she was the most popular. And Komomo seemed to continually hang on to this idea that she was actually from a rich family and Gosh. didn't need to be there. And yeah, you know, I think, I think maybe it was during the first tell where, where you see um, the woman eating like they're all eating bowls of rice, mm-hmm. the women and the prostitutes, and you see Komomo where she's like she's not, and the madam comes in, and. She starts to like. She starts to get on Komomo about the fact that she's not bringing in men. You know, she's like, "Well, if you don't bring in men, then you can't eat." You know, so like, you need to make that pussy oh, pay. She's not getting on Komomo. She's getting on. Uh, oh no, Komomo. you're right. The girl with the face. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. That's where she shows Komomo compassion. Right? I'm sorry. It's a mm-hmm. woman who does that, but she tells the woman that she's like, "You need to make that pussy pay." Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, wow. But yeah, Komomo winds up giving the woman some of her rice. And, uh, yeah, that's where she starts to show her compassion. Well, that compassion might get her in trouble a little bit. Yeah, so that they were... Komomo was always the most popular, though. Yeah, she was. And she does think that she's... Uh, she thinks she's a princess, but I think that's part of the second tale. No, I, no, because the, then, cause the only oh, thing it? you really see changed is sort of towards the end. Yeah. And so that I was all kind of the build-up. A jade ring gets stolen, and it's the blame is pinned on Komomo. Yeah, because the, the, what happens is those, those prostitutes are to kind of gang up on Komomo. They're like, yeah, she's, she mentioned she always wanted it, and she was jealous. And and they're like, yeah, Komomo took it, because um, they found a pin that belonged to her. 
And the gal's like, no, she's never said a thing. No, she winds up getting kicked. Like with the girl, she's like, yeah, she winds up getting kicked. And this is where the torture starts. Yeah. Now here's here's some some interesting things about this because we had to talk about this a few times, right? Was the fact that uh, this scene? Uh, keep in mind, like I said, it's it's it is a torture scene, right? Kamoma winds up getting dragged off. It looks like into the attic part of that brothel, right? With the women, the, the prostitute, the fellow prostitutes, and the madam. And the madam brings in. Somebody who specializes in this art form of torture, right? Now, the person who plays the torturer is the author of the short story. Yeah. Should we, talk, we talked about Shimaku uh, Iwai. Or Iwai. Uh, it's, it's interesting. is possibly the creepiest person in the movie. Yeah. Just super sadistic now, smile. Doesn't and... she also have, like, her teeth are blacked? Like, the front of her teeth and the bottom of her teeth are yeah. kind of blacked? Oh yeah, you know, and I was gonna out. make a joke for the fact is like, oh, look like she's using the charcoal toothpaste, <laughs> trying like really getting that shine out. <laughs> but no, it's just interesting to me because that was a part of the 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 culture back then too. Is I think maybe that would show a certain status in in society. You know, it's weird how makeup portrayed certain things in society. But uh, yeah, she plays a really really cool part. Now I wanted to to branch off just real quick. This is this gets into my. Almost uh, first time I'd seen it, maybe second or third time I'd seen it, but I brought it over to a friend's house, right? Mm-hmm. And it was uh, my friend, his wife, and uh, one of our friends, right? And we get to this part, so the, I, I described this film, what it was about to them, right? Kind of gave them a heads up. I was like, look, it's going to be a little bit of torture. It's going to be a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's going you know, to make you a little squeamish. So when it comes up, I'll give you a heads up. So this part came up, right? And I told uh, uh, the girl... That was not the wife. I told her, I was like, look. It's like, here it is, right? So here we go. We get into the part where the torturer starts to do her thing, right? And it starts off with like just, it almost looked like little incense. Like oh, little, right. Little well, wooden pokers. Well, she's given instructions on what, like not the face or something. Yeah, or... she tells her not the face. She's like, uh, you know, you can do the body, but the face is pretty much what makes the money. So don't abuse too much, right? So that's the point. You like teach her a lesson, but don't hurt the face. Don't hurt her money maker. Right. So they were they were what like little bamboo skewers, kind of, kind of like little. Well, she lit them on fire, and it was basically like you were holding like a little bit of little incense. That's shirts. why I say that. I know they weren't incense, but that's what they look like. Yeah, like I, I, I agree. That's exactly what it would remind me of. And shoved in the armpits. Yeah, so that's how the torture A little bit starts. at first, to and then sort the of show like what's bundle, coming, right? and then a whole bundle. Yeah, and she, sides. the the torture, the lady who wrote the novel, her character, even her playing it, she gets a kick out of the fact that she starts to smile and then slowly goes into the armpit. So she's enjoying her job of torturing Komomo. Then the good old classic of the uh, nails under the fingernails. Yeah, or so she has like these... The, these long, like, six, seven-inch needles under the wow. fingernails. Can you imagine that going right into your cuticle? Now, here's where we lost half of our audience, my friend and Okay, I. so, yeah, it doesn't stop it under the... Like, so that was bad, but, like, whatever. Like, that's yeah, kind of Yeah, so here, like, here's what happened, because I, I, I'd like to mention that. As soon as they saw, you know, her get the armpit stuff, that you could see them kind of, like, getting squeamish. And then the needles scene came out where Komoma was getting those pins and needles up underneath her f- cuticles and her fingernails. And that girl lost it. She she turned to me. She said, how can you guys sit here and watch this stuff? 
It's like it's sickening, right? <laughs> this is where I put the this film on pause. Right? Now keep in mind, this is like back in 2006, right? Like so when it ri- originally came out, and I was like, all right, here we go. As I, 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 I was like, look what we're watching here. I was like, this is not real. This is a film. I know this person. This is makeup. This is effects. They're acting, right? It's like I don't go out in the real world looking for this stuff. It's like I enjoy it because I know it's a film. And that's all this is. It's interesting. Yeah, it's gory. Yeah, it's that. But it also helps me knowing the fact that I don't have to see this in real life because this shit happens all the fucking time and we don't hear about it. Mm-hmm. Right? So keep in mind that this is a film. I know that it's not easy to watch, but I told you about it ahead of time. <laughs> right? So we push play again. <laughs> and they're out. Right? Half the audience is out. But we stay, my buddy and I, and we finished the film. So anyhow, this is the scene that lost half of our audience. Oof. And then uh, needles. defend this film. Needles into, oh, uh, what would you call it, like way up the top part of the gum? Sort of like so, yeah, plying the... After she gets a handful of those needles, that's when the torture starts to open her mouth. Like, especially her upper lip and her bottom lip. Thir- three in and each. They go sort of the gum line. Like, yeah. Way in the bottom of the gum line, like yeah. kind of up above, like where you would think that the tooth root. Is. Yeah, I, I would say yeah, almost to the. I don't know, like almost in the. Upper I don't know, jaw like way up your, there. In your Basically, lower jaw? imagine way up there and way down there. <sighs> where to the point where her mouth is splayed open with uh, needles driven into her. It looks like part of her gum line, almost into the jawbone, upper and bottom jawbone line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like wow. So after they do this, it's not the end of it, ladies and gentlemen. They pull her up by this little pulley system that's uh, up against, like, I guess an upper rafter, right? And then they string her up. She's hogtied. She's got those needles in her fingers, hand in her mouth. And then she starts to twirl around. And then you see a liquid start to swing down on her, right? She's hogtied, but she's, she's strung up by only one leg. Yeah, and it's she does that little twirling because she's strung up. Like you said, mm-hmm. there's nothing she can do. She's fucked up. But uh, she's pissing on herself. And she starts to confess that, I stole the ring. I took it. And the madam comes over. She's like, you took it? Yeah, and she's like, I took it. You know, I wanted it or whatever. She starts to confess. And she's like, well, where is it? She's like, I don't remember. I mm-hmm. don't remember. Right? And then I think she cuts her down. Eventually she... And she's like, la- she's splayed there, right? After a while, you could tell she's just been laying there for who knows how long. That's where the woman who's telling this story, the disfigured woman, she comes in with like a bowl of maybe rice or some water, and she sees Komomo, who apparently has what hung herself. Yeah. But but before that, she said, she's like, Christopher, I always knew you'd come. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she does that number, but that's when apparently she sh- she hung herself and. Yeah. Well, like we said, she tells the story three times. That's so number that's one. the first version we get is Komomo hung herself. Billy doesn't buy it. No. He's like, there's something you're not telling you're me. You're not telling me something. I want the truth. Tell me the truth. And that's where she's like... So she's now she's like, okay, story's the same until... Well, hold on. She, before she does it, she she tells him that line that she's like, whores. We yeah. never tell the truth, do we? Yeah. Or do they? But... Yeah, now you get story number two with a little bit different narrative. Same story, different narrative. Same story up until Ooh, mm. she's cleaning. Yes, she's cleaning uh, the steals, madam's room. 
the the woman with the face. Yes, the woman with the face. And steals the jade ring. Yes. And... She steals the jade ring and she leaves. Well, when she's passing by, Komomo's in the room. Komomo sees her. Mm-hmm. And then later on, she goes back to the madam. And she's like, oh, I found this pin when in your room. When I was cleaning, room. I because found this in your room. She sees the madam come in. She's freaking out because she can't find her ring. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. And that's when she goes in, intervenes, and it's like, oh, I found this pin. Who's it belong to? Oh, I think that's Komomo's. Now, Komomo, you know, we know what happens with Komomo. But when she comes up this time, it's a little different with Komomo, her interaction, right? Oh, right. She goes up to Komomo and... She, she, she's trying to give her water, but she puts the water in her mouth and like has to spit it into spit her it mouth. Spit it into her mouth. And she cuts her down from being strung up. Exactly. Only... This time, Komomo doesn't hang herself. She chokes her out. She chokes her out. And do you remember the reason why she said she choked her out? Well, and then she goes... Yeah, she chokes her out, and she goes into it with him afterwards, trying to. Yeah, there's there's herself. a brief inter like interlude between the flashback mm-hmm. and Billy Drago, Christopher, and the woman, disfigured woman, in that room, the brothel. And she explains that she's so evil that Kamomo couldn't have a friend like her, or else it would send her to hell. She said, so "Yeah, the she... devil found out that that Kamomo, who was so sweet." had a friend like her, the disfigured woman, that he she would go straight to hell. She would she couldn't allow that, right? The disfigured woman couldn't mm-hmm. allow that to Komomo. So she had to hate Komomo and kill her. So she could go to so heaven. So that she could go to heaven. Yeah, and she said even Buddha came down and led her to heaven, right? But she talked about the fact that because she was so kind to her, she hated that. Right? Mm-hmm. It was some kind of she weird... She couldn't stand kindness or yeah. something. Billy's like, no, that's still not it. You're still not telling me something. Something's not right. There. And this is this is where the the film really. I mean, outside of that, you're like, all right, this is fucked up to begin with. We see torture. We're getting this weird story about the jade ring, and you know what's going on with Komomo and this disfigured woman. Well, at the very end of that, you saw something weird going on. Yeah, like she, they, you, you hear this it's... almost like a voice too, right? Mm-hmm. Like tell him the truth. I think that's what it says. Tell him the truth. She's like. All right, sister. Billy's, but like we said, Billy's not having it. Yeah. So she tells her full story. So her parents oh, weren't. Oh, I know what happens. He in, hold on. I, oh, I, I'm okay. sorry. I don't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. I, because there's some really interesting stuff that leads okay. right into that. Right into that. Alex said, as they're as they're kind of arguing, even as as when she's like strangling Komomo when she's explaining herself this is interesting because this is one of those pause moments I had watching the film I paused it so I can get something to drink and I saw you know Billy Drago Christopher in the film and just below him you see like a shadow silhouette of her strangling Komomo Mm -hmm. while she's explaining herself to him in the brothel so you remember you see all these like little Oh yeah, well, they, kind of, they kind of walk into the room yeah. as it's going on it's in the memory, weird. and they yeah. have their. That's another moment that happens. But uh, he tells her, he's like, uh, she's like, why do people always want to know the truth when the lie is is better, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, he starts to plead with her. He's like, I, I need to know, right? And she's like, she's like, so you want to know? He's like, no, I need to know. And that's where she's crutched down. And she's like, "Do you really want to know?" And then that's when, um, that's when you see uh, the woman sees the madam 
uh, hide her ring, right? She steals a ring. Like I said, we see Kamoma do well, it. Uh, this it's is, even it's even more than that. Cause isn't that when we get the full story? Yeah, like I so said, this is actually that's the second time where she goes through it, and then the third time is where she's like, she starts to tell, all right, so this the full is story. Mama, we go back to the beginning. Mama and Daddy, they weren't just poor. No, they were brother. Well, they on. were brother and sister, and they were basically like wandering, just, homeless. Yeah, basically, right. And they got kicked out of villages, right? For Dad was a drunk. Things. Yep. Mom wasn't a midwife. She was an abortionist. Yep. Yeah, they, they like so they wound up in the in the poor. At village. what point? Mom, so the, the, mom very... starts off dumping a fetus in the river. That's what happens, right? right? Yeah, mom just goes off God and dumps damn. a fetus in the river, and you find out that it's her. Yep. But two days later, mom comes back out, and she's still alive. So she decides to raise her. There's a little. I think there's even a little bit scene before that. I don't even know it's before she was born. Maybe I don't think she. Well, there's there's a scene where you see him beat her. It's fucked up. Like. He comes out. He's like Morisaki. She's like, with what money, Morisaki? This is not toward the oh, end. I'm but... not sure if you find out they're brother and sister yet. No, I don't think so. Not quite yet. So, well, he gets her to reveal the truth right away towards the end because it's obvious that something's going yeah, on with this, her. Yeah. Okay. I see what's so, going on. So, so let's just tell it all in full. I think at this point. Yeah. So the the third story, like I said, is really the the, the most third story one, is right? kind of is sort of revealed in two parts because there's one last reveal to it all. Okay. The big part is that they're brother and sister, and that's what kicks it off. Yeah. So what you start to kind of notice what's going on with dad is after you see mom dump the fetus. I think that's kind of the first thing you see. His dad comes out. He gets a scoop of water from the same river that they're dumping the fetuses in. You see the little girl start to put, put the pinwheels like near the foot of the river in, in that tree. And you see mm-hmm. the, the red ribbons. And then that's where you start to – she tells her story of being born, right? That's when you find out she came out. Looks like something happened. Mom's screaming. She gets dumped, the little girl, in the river. She likes it. Two days later, she gets found – because she's still breathing. Like, mm-hmm. she's at the foot of the river. Mom's out doing whatever she's doing. She hears the baby cry and she takes care of her. So, mom really is the only one who knows what's going on with the girl. Like, there's something else going on besides her disfigurement. Right? Oh, this is where it gets revealed. Yeah, she that... starts, the girl starts helping the mom dig, like, the rooted vegetables for the abortions. There's a woman that comes in um, who's like, uh, um, I don't know what happened. I think there is. There's a woman that comes in. Her mom does the abortion, and she has the fetus in the bucket. That little girl, the you know woman already leaves, and as she's coming out. She gets hit in the face with the rock. You see, they call, yeah. those little boys are calling her freak, like freak, freak. And they, but they don't know what she's carrying. Oh yeah, and it drops out and falls on the rock. And there's a and little fetus, out. yeah, that drops out the bucket, and those boys run off. And so this was that was actually one of the scenes where I, I felt like so there's some of the things like when when he shows the tree and there's other things throughout the movie where Takashi Miike really mm-hmm. like like really shines a light on how he can compose a scene. Yeah. But one of the oh, yeah. he never even shines a light on it. But I thought one of the most interestingly just beautifully put together shots he did in the entire movie yeah. was when she's gathering that fetus back up to the the into the bucket and she's got like the blue hair and it's far enough away in the shot that you can't quite see her disfigurement yeah especially with the way her hair is over her face and so it doesn't look like a disfigurement it doesn't look normal like i'm not saying it's better because it looks normal i'm saying it just doesn't 
like something's just it just sort of fades to nothing almost and then the other side she has the blood coming down for her eye yeah and just the way the colors and everything flow it's, it's interesting man his he he does have a way for capturing shots there's there's even a a real quick interlude they have with the priest again i was gonna say like you see it's almost a mirror of what he was telling her before yeah but that's not the whole story that happened yeah, that she told before it's with the pretty priest. apparent that he was molesting right her. and he says something like this is the the hole that leads to hell and he says if you don't do these things then you go to hell so what he's telling her is like if you don't do what i'm like telling you yeah you go to hell so this is pretty yeah he was molesting her big time but she trusted him because he was a buddhist priest yeah, so we find that out. Like I said, then we see the 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 boys throw the rock, hit her in the face. She drops the bucket. The boys run off. They're all spooked. Um, then you get a shot of the dad coming back into the hut and beating the mom in front of the girl. Well, He's and, beating the shit out of mom. Well, and beats mom away. Yeah, basically. beats mom out of the hut, right? And after dad's beating you know, mom, the little disfigured little girls in the corner watching the whole time in the hut. He starts to come out of her real creepy, mm-hmm. right? With a cutaway indicating that he then raped her. Yeah, because she's she is laying down once again, splayed out on the floor, right? She's all disheveled. She's traumatized. Um, Dad goes outside. It's it seems to at look night. like at night, right? And he's taking a whizzer, and the little girl picks up looks like a wooden mallet. Like I think she was using it earlier. I thought it was a giant rock. I, no, I think she uses like if you look. Either way, she goes and sneaks up on dad and beats dad. dad. Yeah, she smashes him. She wanted to beat him to death, but before he actually dies, he's like he's barely breathing. But you see, <laughs> I think this is where you you see the uh, the twin appear. Oh right, and it's sort of. And this is where she's time. like gnosis. Right, you hear that. Mm-hmm. You don't really see it, but you see something going on. And she's like, no, sister, right? And then that's when the the hand comes out. Do you want to explain what you saw, what, what happened when you saw that? The sister, the twin. Well, I'm trying to remember how, at what point at all. It's, it's like she, right she as, goes... she, as she's like telling this story about her beating her dad to death, right? And then her dad's like laying there in a pool of blood and she's got it raised up. Like you see her hair kind of like almost mm-hmm. peel back, but then it cuts back to her and her, you know, her grown up self with, with Billy Drago in the room and she's still hovered on the ground. And then you see that like her skull start to pull back a little bit in a certain spot. And that's where you get the reveal of the sister. Right. So she has a parasitic twin growing out of the side of her head. Right. It's That's kind a, of a hand. It's a hand. And here's something that... With I, a face and a mouth. If you're with us, this, this is hard to believe, right? That she has a twin sister, a parasitic one, that is living inside of her skull, right? Yeah, something like that. And at times pops out as a hand with teeth and a face in the center, right? Mm-hmm. No, here's something I was going to mention about that. If our care, our, our listeners are familiar and they're, you know, up to speed right at this point, if you're still listening to us. Somebody had mentioned this before, and I thought it was a good um, kind of way of describing this scene, is if you've seen uh, Vampire Hunter D. I was about to say, I'm actually a fan of Vampire Hunter D. I've read the first few novels. So if you're familiar with that, I have a couple of the graphic novels behind you, and I have one of the books. 
He has left hand. Exactly. So if you're familiar with left hand, this might help you understand what sister is to the disfigured girl. As woman. soon as I saw sister, I was like, fucking, she has left hand on her head? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? So the big reveal in this film was that she has a t- parasitic twin sister. That was what freaked mom out. Who and she gets out the ring. She does. As soon as she comes out, that's what happens. She spits that ring out. And they're kind of like mocking Billy and Drago. that's when she does the reveal and going back and being like, my parents were brother and sister, by the way. And yeah, she says, have I got your attention, mister? This is my twin sister. Uh, only She's like, only mama knew about my sister. Mm-hmm. Mom and dad were brother. They, they were run out of the village when they were found out. Uh, the girl and twin were cursed from birth. That's what she said. We've been cursed from birth, mister. Right? So sister... This is where this is where you're talking about where this is one of the most beautiful shots I thought. Like so she's I think she said the little girl. You hear the lullaby, like the sister singing her the lullaby, mm-hmm. and uh, it's kind of it's interesting because I read a little bit about why they chose that song, and it's actually uh, some of it's kind of operatic in a way, mm-hmm. but it has a weird has a weird title to it. It's 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 very poignant the way that. They, it's they chose that piece and sister speaks in Komomo's voice yeah she does like i said the sister likes to uh likes to mock him so after you see that scene she says i waited for you christopher and he's like Komomo. and she reveals that sister was the one i know what you did in in america she's like uh no matter where you go your hair your hell follows you that's what she tells him Mm -hmm. the sister right well he had mentioned way earlier on that he had that Komomo had reminded him of his dead little sister. Yeah. So and you get an sure. audio fl- uh, flashback from little sister uh, that sort of indicates that he killed his little sister himself. You hear the uh, the the hand speak in his little sister, his dead little sister's voice, where you hear, "No, Christopher, stop." Right? I did what you told, or something like that. Yeah, and he's like, he yells, "Freak!" He yells at them, "Freak!" Uh, when he says, "I'll give you what you want, I'll send you both to hell," right? She's like, "You can't do that. You can't you don't do have the it. Power to do it." Yep. He gets out a gun, shoots her in the heart. Nothing. Nope. She says, "You can't kill us." Uh, this is where he's like, "All right," shoots her in the head, and this is a really cool scene. I thought. Because when he shoots her in the head, she goes back, right? Her head rocks back. Half her body rocks back. So she's going in that backwards you know, position. But she's still standing. And then when she swings back up, mm-hmm. she's Komomo. Yeah. And she reaches when around she's behind. Komomo, right? She reaches behind and grabs like a chunk of her of brains. Bullet that are wound. Out. Yeah, like her skull and bullet wound and brain. Turns around, grabs it, and looks, he like mocks him with it, right? I waited for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my God damn. All right. And in the end, he's arrested. He's in a cell. Yeah. Accused, accused of him in a cell. Uh, you see water and food being poured into like these bowls on a prison cell floor, right? Like he's, a, he's in a fucked up prison cell somewhere in Japan. Uh, you hear one of the guards. There's two guards. One of the guards says, "Yeah, he's a he's a he's a murderer. He's the American journalist who killed the prostitute, right?" He says, "We're gonna have fun with you. Death won't come soon. This will be a living hell." 
right? And then they walk off. Uh, Billy Drago, Christopher, walks over to the food and the water, and you can see he's shackled up in chains. When he goes to scoop the water from that bucket, he imagines a bloody fetus in the bucket. Like, there's a, mm-hmm. a dead fetus and blood and guts, right? And he starts to cradle the bucket, and then he starts to sing it a, a, a lullaby. It was the same song, wasn't it? I think maybe it could have been in, in English. Because then it, you see a shot of him cradling the bucket with the ghosts of Kamomo, Kamomo and, and his, his little, little sister, sister standing yep. next to him. Kamomo, she's blowing on a pinwheel. And then Chris, he lies down with his head on the bucket after he kisses. He kisses his finger. There's like that. And then he touches the bucket and then he cradles it, puts his head on it, right? And then you see a shot where it says imprint. Mm-hmm. And then it goes to the end credits. But then you start to see these sceneries, right? There you see like the river, the stream, right? And you see like a the fetus, little dead fetus floating down the river. Then you see, after you see that scene, you see it goes back to the woman, the disfigured woman. Yep. And she's fanning, right? I thought she was fanning herself at first because it's like an over, over shoulder shot, right? And it's kind of, you know, mm-hmm. kind of till, I guess, I don't know. Rotating. Rotating a little bit, right? Yeah. And she, she's got like a little, like a little hot bottle, like a little smoker or something with a grill on top of it. And she's fanning the, like the, the coals or the embers inside of that little grill the box. Little, yeah. Yeah. And she just turns around. And it's like fish or something, it's right? Like, like this a fish weird head or something. Fucking, yeah. Fish head and smattered fish meat, maybe. <laughs> right? Yeah. And that's it. That's it. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's, so, and we skipped over the amount of fetuses that they actually show you. By the way, there's a lot of fetuses. But this tale went from a guy looking for a prostitute he wanted to bring home to America with, you know, promises of a good life. We found out that he killed his sister, probably a molester, perhaps. Yeah, that's what I. It's maybe not, maybe she was using that little I girl it as a metaphor. To me like he killed her, even though yeah, he had already molested her. He's like. Cause she, cause she, what because she was, she was so pure and he, you know that's a good way because I never really thought about it maybe there's parallels in what she's telling her story is maybe his story back to him mm-hmm. using her as a metaphor well, because she then, does say whores lie don't they I, I well, the, maybe, the only hmm. thing that I find also weird is like so the ghosts that are haunting him in the cell are his sister who oh, he yeah. killed? Yeah, yeah. And Kamomo. Because there are some scenes where you see the shadow ghost appear. There's even one scene like where I think the madam of the house walks by, and then you see this little girl walk by right after. Mm-hmm. So you see like little shots of that. Every time Kamomo is shown in his flashbacks, she has a pinwheel. She does. And we know that the pinwheels represent our death of some sort or something. Yeah. Well, they're put out every time. There's an abortion, but they don't have to be just an abortion. No, they could be know, death they could be because. Suicide. Well, the. You see ribbon trees. They use those red streamers, it looks like. Well, the pinwheel also blows before the woman with the face comes into the room. It's true. And in the end, we see that she's not dead. Yeah, no, she's totally not but dead. But she was death coming. She was justice coming of some sort. She was. Good point. She could have been a justice. That's what I'm saying. There's, she I think somehow there's a activated story. the pinwheel, and yeah. that has something to do with death. I'd say the indication is that he killed Komomo. 
I would totally believe. I could totally see that because he he went he went mad. The two ghosts that are haunting him are yeah. his sister, who we know he killed, and, and Komomo. Komomo. Right. Komomo's always shown with a pinwheel in his flashbacks. And the one woman is still alive at the end. Yeah. But we see him shoot Komomo. We don't see him shoot Komomo, but we see him shoot Komomo. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that could be his way of like when he maybe he broke, you know, maybe seeing the parallels between Komomo and his sister. He snapped, Mm -hmm. killed her, had to save her pure innocence. And then he's been chasing the ghosts since then. I could see that. And then, yeah, she could represent death the grim reaper i mean him him seeing the fetuses in the water and him even giving a shit about him well you know even even the abortion could be a and you know an allegory to the the fact that it's it's pure and innocence is like something before it could be corrupted what if he killed her because she got an abortion that too that's what i was thinking maybe that's what i was thinking at the beginning you see the, the the bloated woman the preg- bloated pregnant woman. And that's what I was thinking. Maybe she got pregnant and he killed her. That might be it. You know? It, it might, would make perfect that might sense. wrap it back around that way, too. He can't bring a whore back to the United States with his bastard child. Yeah. Because huh. this, this story takes place, what looks like, like the early 19th century. Yeah. You know, somewhere around that time period. Uh, or no, not early, maybe late 19th century. I'm not sure, but... Not not modern, that's for sure. No, it could even be early twentieth century for that matter, somewhere in between that time period. But no, that I didn't think about that. That's a good idea on it too. Anyway, really good movie. Though. It's like I said, that's that's but that's a part of his his. Uh, speaking of Takashi Miike, his, the way he story he tells stories, he makes you think about these things. You mm-hmm. know, well, and it's a bit easy to follow some of the symbolism the way that yeah. he does. This one isn't so chock full heavy like. We were talking about Gozu. Holy shit. Good luck with that one first time. I mean, really, the only downside to this movie, I'd say, is that there are scenes where you can tell it was made for more of a TV anthology. I mean, it's showtimes, but it's before it's before TV really came into its own, so yeah. we're not talking like they weren't getting $2 million an episode like Game of Thrones gets. No, not, not even close. So there's there's some of the scenes where you can sort of tell it was made for television, TV. Yeah. Um, I agree with you there, but you know, but then again, Billy, there's some really good. Billy is in kind of uh, he doesn't give a stifled performance. No, he gives kind nice. of a hammy performance, but he's for who he is and what he can bring. I'd say he's in kind of a small part. He was underutilized, uh, considering the tale, right? Um, and then, like I said, there were some scenes that were a little hammy, but. Um, um, all the choice. all the Japanese actresses are amazing, though. Oh, hands down. Holy cow! There's a reason why you see their credits along with imprint, right? Yeah. Um, so Takashi knows how to pick his film crew, and uh, you know, along with him telling the tale, he said, you know, he thought this was some content. He knew he had to he choose certain topics well with American audiences. He said he thought he said he thought he did enough. To where it'd be all right, and then he even did some more editing just to see if that would do it. And then he's like, apparently not, <laughs> you know. So he's like, you know, they just, you know, he tried to, he tried what he could do with this story to not be too over the board because I feel like, I, you know, how do you feel if they would have cut all the baby fetuses part out of the way? Do you think that would have took away from the story? Kind of, especially because at it, like there's almost like a weird little montage of the baby fetuses at a certain point too yeah. that really. 
that part really wasn't that disturbing overall. I didn't it, think it was disturbing. I mean, it was like, you know, I mean... yeah, It was the, extreme, it was, but like, it was... But again, it's like, it's just... It looks like his makeup and... and he, he puts it out so plainly, though. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't do it crudely to the point where it's like... But like you say, you're actually witnessing this, you know, this act, per se. It's like, come on, people. It's it, it's a film. Just keep that in mind. It is a film, but... Um, I, I know it's a touchy subject. I'm not trying to make light of it. But you're right. He does it in a way where it's not... It's a little comedic, in a sense. I mean, he uses comedy... Yeah, to deal with I'm, some of these aspects, you know. Yeah, he really does. <laughs> like the, like you, you said, know, the, like about, like you said, the Japanese Willy Wonka child. That's what I was gonna buyer. get. When I saw him, I had to think about. It. I was like, "Holy shit, he looks like a fucking Japanese Willy Wonka." Took this Except little girl. he's buying children. Yeah, he's buying children into prostitution, apparently, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, he intermingles little bits of comedy to maybe um, water down a little bit some of the the broader taboo subjects that that's being played out you know well the fact I, that the girl's being sold into fucking prostitution well i think some of the imagery is so surreal anyway yeah. that it's not hard for him to border over into absurdism to push sort of push some of the humor at yeah and we too. talked about that too with visitor q like his his the way he uses like i said uses humor interluded with the surreal right like you said you get the bullying aspects with the little girl that dealt with bullying and the boy and Visitor Q, they dealt with bullying. and uh, But the way that it gets played out with is, like I said, the little girl, you know, drops, drops the fetus as she gets a, thro- a rock thrown at her. And then you see what happens with the bullying and the sun and how that shit gets played out. Mm-hmm. So it, it's interesting. Like I said, this film, I liked it when it first came out because, like I said, I was in my, my early to mid-20s, mm-hmm. right, when this film came out. And uh, at the time, this is kind of the stuff I was getting into, you know, with... Takashi Miike and uh, like I said, some of the subject matter. This is kind of when I was really starting to get into. I mean, even before that, maybe a few years before that, I was really starting to get into like being a gore hound, right. just a, a, a horror hound for that matter, right? So I, I had I've seen audition and a couple other films beforehand. So I was, you know, I knew what I was going to get myself into. I'm really glad that I finally got around to this one. It's, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Uh, no. Just a very well laid out tale. Oh, and I was going to say sort of folklore aspect. One of the things that it reminded me that sort of ties into uh, more Western folklore yeah. is his his commanding or having to ask three times to get the full tale. Because it always seems like, as, as you go through some of the different folklore and stuff, like things involving fairies and this and that, that things repeated three times tend to have power. You know, that's a good way, too, because you don't really... The number three, of course, is can be represented in a lot of different ways, esoterically and cabalically and whatnot. Although, um, as we pointed out, I in my the, notes, in, in my notes, I only wrote it down as him asking three times, but I think he had to re-clarify because of Little Sister. Yeah. There I mean, might have true. been four questions and four could be a good way to look back on that i'm not sure i mean that's how many audience members i started with there might be four (laughs) questions and i don't know maybe four plays in somehow in japanese stuff rather that's cool too because he like said he does lean heavily on the number uh, i mean mean, not number but just japanese mythology whether it be shinto or i mean it might not i have absolutely no idea i'm just throwing out that it might. Shit. Why don't you take a look at that? You know, we we talked about um, 
Shimaku I E Y. The the book was called Boki Kyoti. That was the name of the novel that she wrote. That this the imprint was based on. Um, like I said, he liked the simplicity. And imagine the audience telling their friends after seeing the film. He said it's more like a kaidan, which is a traditional scary story that could have been told before the horror genre was around. Now, uh, kaidan is it kind of talks more about like um, traditional, like I said, folk folklore tells. But there's different words used um, for like what we consider like maybe the ringu and um, you know juan and stuff like that. It has a different different name. It, it more alludes to like Japanese horror. More so than Kaidan, which is traditional folklore. So it's interesting. Yeah, like, you know, I was talking about Mick Garris, too, <laughs> the guy who created the series. He said that he thinks that uh, that it was amazing imprint. But it, like I said, he, he said it was even hard for him to watch. So he said it's definitely the most disturbing film that he's ever seen. That's Mick Garris saying this. I, I don't know how true this is or not. I obviously just did a very quick well, Google search look, yeah. while he was talking. But... It it does seem like there, there's a higher instance of fear amongst the num- of the number four huh. in the Japanese population what is because yeah. uh, the four is unlucky because it sounds just like the word for death. Good point. Huh. She. She. Yeah. No kidding. Wow. And that's the name for death. Apparently. Um, That's interesting, though, that he would use it. I think they're written right? in different na- in different ways, but, but they're still, pronounced the same. She, yeah, well, that would make sense in this film. And like I said, think think about how heavy that is. It would yeah. make sense. I'm not sure. I, I, now, yeah, that, I mean, it's it's a when we got question. up to the little sister segment, I realized that like it was all mixed up in my head, and yeah. I was like, how many questions did he ask? And if it's four, that would make sense. If it's three then it still touches sort of on folklore aspects, in my opinion. Good point. So it's still cool. This The story, the way it plays out, really does feel kind of old school. I agree. And kind of like, totally almost like a ghost story you would tell, because yeah. it sort of does wrap around to this guy just sort of getting his just desserts. and Exactly. And, and like I said, I think all the the um, the imagery, like I said, that he uses, Takashi Miike, along with the storytelling, and like I said, the way that is told... Very interesting, and and like I said, I can see why Showtime during that time period banned it. You know, because you got to think too, it was two thousand six. Not that it was that long would, ago, no. but today, I could see it getting the green light, considering yeah, I don't things think that it would we've be seen. Yeah, no, uh, I would say out of the two that we've done, right, Visitor Q, I would say it would still say <laughs> weirder, the, yeah, crazier, exactly. You know, this one I think even with the fucked up torture scene, I'd say that this one. And the fetuses wasn't that this bad. one would appeal to a wider audience than Visitor Q. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think even if you edited those two things out, it would still be appealing, right? I mean, it's still appealing regardless. Right, but you could and probably. I, it's probably it's a great credit to how how good he is at composing scenes where I can say that there were some beautiful shots totally. of a woman hanging by yeah. one leg with needles poking out of. Her hands, her, her and, her hands mouth. and mouth. Oh, gosh, um, there's even scenes like of the uh, the suicide tree is what I wrote down with the the, the red ribbons that you oh, see yeah. from the from the prostitutes, and that's that's something I wanted to note, and I think I asked you about earlier. Is I noted, or at least I took note of the fact that he was using a lot of blue and a lot of red, predominantly red, mm-hmm. and I was kind of curious as the reasons why he chose those two in this particular story. 
I don't know. There's probably other things that play in. Well, I can imagine. I, about four. I, I even lo- I started to look into it, and then I was like, man, I'm kind of going down a rabbit hole. I don't know how far down I want to go. Mm-hmm. So I'll just leave it be that. I, I noted that, like I said, he used red and blue. So if our listeners are listening, and you know a little bit more than I do about the color scheme in cinema, I, I'd like to hear the take on maybe yeah, why you, he chose those color patterns. Or I guess just how... How some of this symbolism that he's obviously using pertains more to Japanese culture rather than ours. Because there's only a certain lens that we can view so much of this through. But he really is a master of what he does. And weaves a lot of different imagery throughout his things in very particular spots. And I feel like there is definitely things that we're probably missing about this movie. I agree. I mean, there's, like I said, there's a lot of cool little nuggets that you can find throughout. And, um, you know, I've seen this film... This episode, I don't know how many times, it's, I wouldn't say like a a heap of times compared to other films, but I've seen it probably at least 10 times. And every time I see it, I do get a a different, you know, a bit of uh, nugget or a bit of truth or a bit of fact revealed to me after each viewing. So it's it's cool. And I think we might be done with this one. What do you think? Should we talk about what we're going to do next? How do you feel about it? I don't know. I, I don't have much else to, to add on to this one. It was, I mean, it, it wraps up pretty quick. It's pretty straightforward. It, the most thing is that he's really good at telling a story. Yeah. And it's really kind of a pretty story as long as you can get over the imagery. Yeah. I'll, I'll put it this way. Um, when, when you, like, when we kind of try to compare films, whatnot, because we, we try to do that a little bit, try to give you a, an idea. Um, Maybe try to watch a few episodes of Masters of Horror first to get get a feel for it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you've seen or if you're familiar with any of Takashi Miike's work, watch this one. Listen to or, or watch Visitor Q so you get yourself familiarized with us in the film. Watch this. I'd say watch this first, though. Yeah. No, yeah. I, like I said, I think this one I would, would have I would totally recommend watching this Visitor first. Q. Yeah. Visitor Q is a whole different beast. But, but um, weird. It makes you feel kind of dirty too. Yeah, exactly. The bleakness of some of the beginning of it and stuff is wow. It, it, that's a that's a very powerful film. But um, you're right. That, that was interesting that you noted that in the beginning that out of the out of the the several films that Takashi Miike has directed, that these would be the first two that we've introduced our our listeners to. Mm-hmm. You know. I do want to do Ichi. Yeah, Ichi's brilliant. Audition's brilliant. Um, Not, well, I want to do Audition. You know, he actually did a film called Blue's Harp, too. I need to watch that, but I wonder if he uses the color scheme that I'm thinking about this. Um, what was I going to say? So, Yeah, I think we have some ideas coming up, but maybe we should we should save it. But we've got some, some cool things well, yeah, coming we're, up. We're, we've got some ideas coming up. Some of it kind of depends on when we can get to it. We will have Jesse back on to make up for the episode we missed. Yeah, so we'll we'll get a reintroduction, but for our listeners, it'll be it'll your be first their introduction. introduction, right? Yeah. I guess though to keep listening. Yeah, because we definitely want you to keep listening to us and to do all that, you know, as we go on and continue to do our thing. Subscribe to us. Uh, we're Google Play, Stitcher. Still tuned in, iTunes, right? iTunes, SoundCloud. Oh, yeah. Uh, we have a website, friedsquirms.com. You can email us, squirmcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, follow us on Facebook. Yeah. Search for Fried Squirms. Fried Squirms on Facebook. Uh, Twitter at Fried Squirms. 
Yep. We, Have uh, I mentioned it all? I've been trying to do things on all of these things whenever I can. Yeah, but... I mean, we, we get shoutouts. Um, we've been given shoutouts, right? That's right. Oh, yeah. Fucking, you know, I'll do a, I'll do a shout-out yeah, on our Twitter it's... later on for them. But while we were recording this episode, our friends over at Into the Echo actually shouted us out on Twitter. So if you're listening to us and you like music yeah. and you want to go listen to an awesome music podcast, check out uh, Into the Echo. It's yeah, those actually guys some are of our, our friends. Yeah, we know them. And uh, I, mean, I can guys. almost I can almost throw a fucking rock from my door and hit one of them's place. So. Yeah, I mean, if we yelled loud enough, one of them probably come. Actually, I take over. that back. My arm is not nearly that strong, but as a crow flies, baby. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, check those guys out. Um, you know, like I said, um, you, I guess before we leave, is there anything that you've seen lately maybe that you could recommend for our, our listeners? Well, uh, I'll do a really brief recommendation, but I want to do a write-up on the website. But okay. if you haven't checked out American Gods on Stars yet, it's not horror-related, but it might be one of the more important shows that's going on on TV right now. So. Yeah, so check that out. Um, like I said, I've, uh, I guess I've, I told you I've watched a few films this week, right? Um, I, I'd recommend... One that you reviewed on our website. Devil's Check Candy. Out Devil's Candy is really good, starring Ethan Embry. Um, I went back and watched uh, Don't Breathe, so I, I'd recommend that one out. And I uh, watched The Autopsy of uh, Jane Doe. So if you like Emil Hirsch and Brian Cox and you want a horror film that's not too heavy but a little scary, good story, check that one out as well. Cool. Um, and I think that's about all for this week. Yeah, like I said, thanks for listening. I'm Danny. I'm, I'm Tyler. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm Tyler. Anyway, have a good one, guys. Good night.